Hi, I'm Rob Vanstow, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. I'm here with Murray McCormick, the Regina Leader Post's venerable football writer, and we're discussing one of the better CFL games we've seen in a long time, that being Friday's 31-24 victory. Uh, Rough Riders 31-24 victory over the BC Lions. Didn't look promising there for a while, but the Rough Riders ended up winning the game, improving their record to 5-2. and two. They're in sole possession of second place in the CFL's West Division. Uh, that could have easily gone the other way in so many places. I think the Lions could probably say the same thing. What's your take on that game, Mer? Well, I think we can both agree with whoever had the ball last kind of won, eh? <laughs> Even if you yeah. stretch it beyond the drive. And you get that kick kickoff return, Lucky Whitehead fumbling that kickoff return. Like you're, you're the historian. Like have the Riders ever scored that many points in two seconds? I guess nobody has. It's a CFL so, record. I checked with Steve Daniel, the CFL's ace statistician, and that has never been done before. Um, the the closest one I remember was in 1981, when the Riders played host to Hamilton, and Dwight Edwards scored on a touchdown pass late in the game. And then they tried the onside kick, and Steve Dennis of the Rough Riders not only recovered the kick, but scored a touchdown on it. And those were eight seconds apart. And that is what I believe to be the shortest uh, gap between touchdowns in Rough Riders history. But uh, given that the last touchdown was scored with no time on the clock and that Cody Pajardo's touchdown was scored with two seconds left, uh, there was more. Had the clock kept running, had had there not been no time on the clock when Damon Webb recovered the – the uh, fumble and, and ran 44 yards for a touchdown. There would have been a greater gap than two seconds, but officially it's a two-second uh, interval between the <laughs> touchdowns, and I don't think that one is going to be uh, ever going to be uh, matched or even approached. Two seconds. It would take a unique set of circumstances. Yeah. Well, I suppose. I suppose you know it could happen in one second. I mean, yeah. if that scenario unfolds again, you could have a one-second gap, but uh, that's it's going to take some doing. I got a, an email. I got an email from a reader. I got some too. I got some from Brad about Thompson that I want to read. So and I got an email from a reader wondering what the score was. He says, Murray, you got the score wrong in the paper. And I said, no, I didn't. And he says, yeah, you got, you know, the, when did the Riders won 25-24? I says, no, they returned the kickoff. He says, oh, I, love, I don't know why. He didn't know. He didn't watch the last part of the game. But he thought the game was, didn't even think about that last field, that, that touchdown return on the fumble return. So I was kind of weird. And I looked and I asked the league, why didn't the riders kick the convert? Which is an interesting question. And they said they should have in the game. But I guess the, the riders refused to say the game's over and then they just didn't bother. So it's kind of one of those things where... Interesting. Interesting. Does it make a big... I'm going to ask Craig Dickinson about that. But it sounds like one of those things where they should have done it. Technically, they should have done it. But the teams were all running off the field. And, and the game-winning points were not those of Cody Fajardo. That was the convert by Brett Lother, yeah. who's re- recovered nicely from a bit of a slump that he was in. He started off 10, 10 for 10 for the year, then went on a 4 for 9 skid, and has now hit six field goals in a row. So uh, whatever was uh, whatever glitch there was in the middle of those three uh, surges has certainly seemed to have uh, been addressed. And converts aren't automatic anymore. 32 you know, yards. 32 yards, that's... Far enough to make it challenging and far, but close enough that they, they should be able to make it. So it kind of adds, I know there are probably a lot of people in Rider Nation that are holding their breath when Brett lined up to uh, kick that convert because we've seen guys miss it in the NFL more often than not. And it just happens, but good for Brett that he he had the uh, 
the wherewithal to it. You know, it was funny, and I, I've read some people have, com- have brought up the comments about whether Cody had crossed the goal line, and we never did see a definitive angle from TV. No, it never did. Okay. Uh, it, but, but, when, he, when he first surged behind Dan Clark there, I thought, hmm, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, the only – I think the person who had the best view would have been the official, and he thought it was in. And there's really nothing replay-wise to 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 uh, overturn it. So and he was emphatic in his. He, he didn't even doubt it. He put his arms up right away, and he was the only one looking right down the line. So I, I was kind of surprised to see how many people brought up until we had a definitive line, which is interesting because the NFL has that angle, down looking right down the goal line because the cameras are in the goal in the uh, those orange pylons, but. It's interesting that the CFL didn't have that angle. I see. Well, there I was there, there was such a mass of bodies, though. I'm not I sure they, what that could have been. You know what it was like? It was like Ron Lancaster's last touchdown in his uh, last CFL game, and he scored on a one-yard quarterback sneak. And uh, there was a lot of talk at the time that that was uh, as, as amazing a, uh, a game as that was for Ronnie against the Eskimos on October 29, 1978, that he didn't get in. But there's just there was just no way they could not give Ronnie a touchdown. And uh, you remember Louis Pisaglia's last game in in twenty in two thousand when he came in and had the quarterback sneak and again that was uh, there was just no no uh, countering the moment then but um, interesting though there was a neat parallel between that and the West Final in twenty nineteen the Riders yeah. got down to the five yard line they were first and goal from the five they Cody Fajardo was trapped in the backfield on first down as he was against the Bombers but the difference being uh, the second down pass. Instead of falling incomplete, uh, took the Rough Riders down to the one-yard line. Kyron Moore with a nice move to get down to the one, and then the Rough Riders finished it off. And they, there was no hitting the upright this time. No, it was pretty hard to do that. Can you there. imagine? Can you oh. imagine? But, well, hey, remember 09? Too many men on the field. And what happened the first game of 2010? Yeah. And there was too many men. Of it, but this time the Riders won. <laughs> so I hate Did you know, and, and you know what? The, the too many men thing was actually happened for the first time in 1978 to the Rough Riders, notoriously. They um, they were playing Montreal at Taylor Field. Don Sweet came in to kick a what he hoped would be a, a go-ahead field goal. Riders were called for too many men. He got another chance at it and missed. And uh, I think it was Brian O'Hara that ran the ball out of the end zone. And the Riders ended up going, marching down the field and ended up settling for a single. And uh, so... Um, the, two, the three most notorious too many men's in rider history all, are all against Montreal. Really, uh, two, two, two in Regina and one in uh, in Calgary, and that one in Calgary certainly stands out. But they'd set that precedent back in 1978. I'm in 1978 mode today, Murr. Oh, you are. Yeah. Of, that game's on YouTube, by the way. Look, if you go on YouTube and go Rough Riders Montreal 1978, it was a really good football game. The riders were up up quite quite substantially, and Jerry Dettilio came in and quarterbacked the riders, or quarterbacked uh, Montreal uh, uh, to a uh, to a comeback, and uh, Larry Smith, former CFL commissioner, was a really yeah. big player in that game. So it's a really cool uh, video to watch if you're into nostalgia. So are you? As I see today, <laughs> where's the dog? I don't see the dog yet today. Maybe. Candy is okay. There we go. Candy Dan. Candy is Dan. Adorable. Hi, Candy. She's looking. The, the official dog is the Red Rumblings video podcast. She really is. I think she deserves that honor. So we had so many turning points in the last three minutes of that game on Friday oh night. Goodness, just enough to, to fill a season. And a couple of mine were Dion Lacey and that big tackle on Michael Riley. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge. Or as someone used to say down, hugely huge. And then who would have believed that the 
BC punter would shank a punt. He's like the leading punter in the league, one of the best, and just off his foot. And all of a sudden, and plus, I've had friends of mine saying they were doing all they could to stay awake by then. Even though it was an exciting game, it's pretty late for some some of our more established or senior readers or viewers. And they're doing everything they could to stay awake. And then that guy shanks the punt. And I never expected that. I was thinking it's still, I mean, it's a 26-yard net, as it turned out, which isn't great. But it's not a lot of the punts will will be in the let's say the mid 30s net wise mm-hmm. so it's even though it was a shank they still got 26 yards out of it as opposed to maybe the ceiling would be 40 41 so it was basically the equivalent of another first, first down that the rough riders didn't yeah, have to get i think the big one there was the missed field goal that would have put the rough yeah. put a, put bc up by 9 if they make that 43 yard field goal it's a different story just like in the opener against BC if the if the Lions could make field goals that didn't have an extreme degree of difficulty perhaps the Rough Riders end up losing that game but uh they were certainly fortunate that they uh the Lions had some difficulties making makeable kicks in, in those two games otherwise we might be talking about uh uh you know three and four instead of five yeah. and two yeah uh, that's a good point this but the riders made the plays when they were there to be made. Some people have said that the riders were lucky. I've heard that uh, that discussion. I think it was, there was a really good discussion on on the green zone on uh, CJME CKOM the other day about were the rough riders lucky or did they earn it? And and the, I think the you know Drew Ravenda Jamie and I talked about it at length. And you've still got to yeah the the shank was lucky, but they've yeah. got to make the plays when they're there to be made. Otherwise, all the luck in the world doesn't count. And speaking of lucky, have you <laughs> seen a player? Touched more extremes at a football game than Lucky Whitehead. He had two touchdowns, but he also had two fumbles that led to led to Rough Rider touchdowns. And on the opening play of the game, he dropped a pass. Yeah. So, was it was there? If you're doing a plus minus for that game, <laughs> he might be minus one. Minus so one. Both, yeah. both of his touchdowns are neutralized by uh, by touchdowns that the Rough Riders got as a result of his fumbles, and they dropped a pass on the opening series, and the, the Lions ended up punting. So. For all that he accomplished that night, it, it uh, he ultimately uh, uh, benefited the Rough Riders more than he exploited them. I read a story the next couple, I think last yesterday, that he he said he's, he messed up. He, he stood up there, he was accountable, and I admire that when a guy does that. If you screw up, you screw up, and you admit it, and you can move on. But he's a good player. He's so fast. That first oh. touchdown was just, you know, we, we talk about the Riders don't have any breakaway speed, and that's what you need. You need a guy like that, or like Brandon Banks when he was, before this season anyway what could just that speed will just turn you inside out and just create something out of almost nothing there yeah so how do you, you know you kind of i kind of feel a little sorry for him you know to see what happened is that it was a great play by demarcus gates too to force that fumble on the on the kickoff but by then everyone's celebrating and ready to go home but it was kind of a a tough night for lucky whitehead and i'm sure he'll bounce back it's interesting, though, the Rough Riders have gotten away with not having any semblance of a deep passing attack. Aside from the occasional over-the-top play to Braden Lenius, there's been nothing. And, you know, Kyran Moore, especially in the absence of, of uh, Shaq Evans, would be the Rough Riders, would seemingly be the Rough Riders' most dangerous uh, receiver, but he's averaging well under 10 yards a catch. They very seldom go over the top to him. The one play that they had an opportunity to do that was against Winnipeg in the Labor Day Classic, and he was overthrown. But you look at Kyran Moore's speed and contrast that to the average per catch and it's 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 like a running back average per catch uh they've they've gotten away they've been 
not gotten away with it necessarily, but they've been able to win despite the fact that they don't have a deep passing attack. And uh, in, in 2019, one of the strengths of this offense was the ability to go over the top. Now, notable by the by his absence is Shaq Evans. He may change things when he gets back. And he posted on Twitter yesterday that he's starting to run. Yep. So well, it'll be interesting to see how, how far off uh, he is. Maybe I would think after the bye week, there'd be a realistic conversation about him uh, returning to the lineup. That's what I would think, too. I don't think they're going to bring him back any time soon. They, they don't really have to. It's nice to have him for Calgary for this three-game stretch against Calgary, but I don't think there's any any huge rush, other than they need his, his what he can contribute. But you'd rather make sure he was 100% healthy than bring him back at 80% healthy for a regular season game. Yeah. And I know he's, yeah, so it's going to bring, he's going to have an impact. But it was good to see that video of him. Uh, oops, someone's poking her head up. <laughs> so it just throws the guy off and you see the dog's head in the corner of the screen. Oh, it's Candy. So, oh, there she is. Yeah, I see her. <laughs> it's making a cash. We'll just cameo. focus on her and I'll, like, there. Hi. That's, Hi. That's our so, goal. Sorry for our viewers that I just chuckle at that one. It's just kind of like a cartoon where this head comes popping up. <laughs> She's so cute. She is pretty cute. Uh, as I said, one day I'll get my cats to come in on this, and that'll be an interesting experience. They don't like people very much. Uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about something important. <laughs> what were we on about? Oh, Shaq Evans. Shaq Evans coming back and anything. But what do you think about these three games against the Stamps? You know, the Riders swept the Lions. They had to do that to put themselves in sole position. Now they got two or three on the road against the Stamps in one home game. How big is this three-game set? Is this well, the, the... One, the one thing they haven't done in the regular season under Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day and Cody Pajardo with quarterback is beat the Calgary Stampeders. They were 0-2 against them in 2019. They lost handily at home. I think it was 35-10 or something like that uh, in week four in 2019. And they lost 38-30-28 at McMahon Stadium uh, later that year. Uh, so they, they finished first in the West Division, but they didn't beat the uh, the team that would seem to be the one that you would have to get through, uh, given that Winnipeg went and uh, beat Calgary in the West semifinal that year. So that's still the one unchecked box with, with regard to Craig Dickinson and his coaching staff and his team in the regular season. They've got the, as I wrote about in the column, my column which appeared in the Tuesday's best-selling edition of the Leader Post, um, Craig Dickinson has the best record after 25 games of any head coach in rider history. Tied with Ken Miller at 18 and 7. And should the Rough Riders beat Calgary on Saturday, you will have the best record after 26 games because Ken Miller lost his 26th game as a Rider head coach. So, uh, uh, so a uh, little bit of trivia there. But they've got to. So what, just to just to take you back to that trivia, what what makes the difference for for Craig from all these other coaches that he gets to that? Do you think it's just having a franchise quarterback? Without doubt, is um, that the difference? You know, because that's. To a degree. I mean, uh, Eagle Keys had Ron Lancaster when he took yeah. over as head coach in 1965. By 66, Ron Lancaster was the most outstanding player in the West Division. Don Matthews had Ken Austin and was barely a 500 coach here, yeah. which is interesting. Uh, Ken, you know, Ken Miller had nobody when he started out in 2008. <laughs> they had Marcus Crandall, who they were hoping would be the guy. Then they went to Stephen Giles. Then they went to Darian Durant, and Darian turned out to be this amazing player, but Ken Miller came in in 2008 without a proven quarterback. Um, well, wait, Michael, and, and, Michael Bishop. And Michael Bishop ended up, but he mentioned Michael Bishop showed up during that season. That's right. But when, when they started the year, it was Crandall, Giles, Durant. And um, and Michael Bishop showed up for for the Labor Day Classic, and the Riders won 19-6 to in his first game. 
but um, you know, Don Matthews had Ken Austin. Um, that didn't seem to move the needle a lot record-wise when he was here. But Craig Dickinson, when he took over, he had Zach Kalaros, but there were so many questions swirling over Zach Kalaros when the Rough Riders started the 2019 season. Not many questions about him now. I think that the 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 big thing with Craig is just the buy-in from his players. And yeah. and I think he's one of those coaches, too, where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts in some cases. If you look at the Rough Riders now, they're 5-2, and two, but they're decimated. Uh, well, decimated might, might be a extreme uh, description, but they have been beset by injuries at various points, dating back to pre-training camp. Yeah. And they, their depth has been tested. That's a testament, I think, to Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson. And uh, but Craig Dickinson has generally been able to get the most out of whatever play, whatever roster he has at his disposal, and I think that's been uh, he's a players' coach, and the players really like him. I think there's a tie there to there's a commonality there with Ken Miller is that they would they would run through a, a brick wall for him. I'm not sure that uh, you know there's still questions from time to time about um, you know game management and you know timeouts late in the second half to second quarter tend to raise eyebrows at times, but uh, by and large, Craig Dickinson has been a tremendous head coach of this football team, and uh, the numbers do not lie. And Jeremy O'Day, too, the 18-7 the, uh, he, and seven record as a GM, that's the best record of any GM in rider history at this, at this juncture, just ahead of Eric Tillman. Uh, Cody Fajardo has made 23 starts as a rider's starting quarterback. His, uh, his record over that that period, which would be uh, uh, 17 and six, is the best record for any Ryder quarterback ever over his first 23 starts. Darian Durant was second, 17, uh, 16, five, and I had this in my column. He's just ahead of Darian Durant. What number was that? Darian had, I think, 16 victories and a tie over his first yeah, 23 tough. starts, yeah. and uh, and Cody Cody Fajardo was 17 and six. So uh, you look at the three, probably the three most prominent members of the Rough Riders, well, the three highest paid members of the Rough Riders uh, football operations and down and roster, Jeremy O'Day, Craig Dickinson, Cody Fajardo, and they have set the pace to this point in their careers as record-wise, or at least in the case yeah. of Craig Dickinson uh, being equal to the pace of Ken Miller. So that sets something for this regime, especially when you consider that they were didn't have a lot of options when uh, – yeah. When uh, Chris Jones left all of a sudden, most other teams had their, their staffs hired uh, to it. I think the Rough Riders would have considered Jer- I think Jeremy O'Day was going to be the GM whenever Chris Jones left. I'm not sure Chris Craig Dickinson would have been the head coach had there yeah. been an opportunity to interview other candidates. They asked for permission to talk to Jamie Elizondo, were denied. They asked for permission to talk to Paul Lapolis, were denied. And uh, Craig Dickinson turned out to be the best choice of all of them anyway. Yeah, I think we we kind of doubted him a little bit because he didn't get, basically not because he we didn't think it just he didn't have the qualification. He's basically been a special teams guy, good one, and he hadn't had this opportunity to be a head coach. But we he sure proving us wrong week by week, and just his whole demeanor means. And you know, even I would like to play for him. You know, just to have him come up there and to chat and stuff. And we kind of miss that with the uh, the distance of Zoom calls. Even when he was a special teams coordinator, how many chats we'd have just standing on the sideline with him and. He just loves to talk to people and talk football and not just football, but other things too. You know, Craig, that. Craig Dickinson's a football coach who isn't a football coach. And I mean that in the, in, in the most complimentary fashion, he's not militaristic. He's not a raging paranoiac. Um, he's not us versus them. He doesn't play any of those silly mind games that, uh, yeah. that some coaches tend to play. He's human. 
And if he makes a state, makes a mistake, I don't think we need to inform him of that because he'll own it. And uh, that was another quality that, uh, that I think Ken Miller had. If he made a coaching mistake, I think he'd mention it before anybody else would have a chance to. I remember one game, I think it was in 2009, in 2009 or 2010, and Ken Miller made this boneheaded coaching decision. And uh, I went down, I walked down the ramps in the press box at Taylor Field just thinking, okay, how am I going to word this column? I was just going to absolutely carve him for this decision. I mean, it was, it was an easy, that column was a layup, right? Rip the coach, stupid decision. And uh, I get down to the press press conference, and uh, I ask Ken Miller about that that uh, that decision, and he said, um, "Yeah, Rob, I probably shouldn't have done that." And it took all the steam and venom out of my column because he's basically owning it, and that's mm-hmm. what I think uh, Craig Dickinson does really well. He owns any mistakes he makes, and he and he, I think he's also done a very good job of 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 uh, transferring ownership of the team to the players. It's mm-hmm. not and and the fellow coaches. Uh, he said in several times this year, when asked about roster moves, he defers to the offensive coaches, for example, when they, uh, as far as the personnel, and and the same would apply to the defensive coaches, and they call the games. Uh, Craig Dickinson's got special teams to concern himself with, but he lets Jason Shivers do his job, and he lets um, lets Jason Moss do his job, and he's also mentioned Travis Moore several oh, yeah. times, uh, and uh, he's quick to, to give credit to his fellow coaches, and I think that. That really engenders a lot of respect and admiration too. Anyway, that's for, I want to get back. Let's get back to the stance before we get to the end of this. Oh yeah, two two games at, in Calgary, one game at home. They haven't beaten the Stamps. It's a different Stampeder team, though. I think we have to admit, Bo Levi hasn't looked this normal. <laughs> Write him off at your own peril, though. I know um, that, and he's going to. I mean, be he's so pumped for this game. I mean, he's playing Saskatchewan, and people are already. There's already the discussion: Should he even play? Should they, should should they go? You know, should they go with Plan B? Um, I would be really leery of having to face Bo Levi Mitchell in a situation where he's uh, he's he's uh, got his dander up, because yeah. uh, that could be a very dangerous Bo Levi Mitchell. He's still Bo, Le- Bo Levi Mitchell, people. He's he's barely he's barely into his 30s. This isn't a washed up player. He could be an elite player in this league for another six, seven, or eight years. Um, I wouldn't, uh, if I were a Rough Rider fan or coach or player, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sit back and derive any reassurance or comfort from the fact that Bo Levi Mitchell hasn't looked like himself. Because I would almost think the law of averages has got to apply here. Exactly. And he, yeah. may, he may go off for 400 yards and four touchdowns on Saturday if, if, if there's anything that's taken for granted here. Yeah, and the Riders don't need to be reminded of that. They know his history. They know his capabilities. Yeah, and then and I think Calgary can is is a better team than they play. Just Bo Levi struggled a little bit to start with a basically a broken leg that kind of slowed him down a little bit. It'll be an interesting one. I think going to be a good crowd. I think it's going to be one of those crowds where it's all red and green because all the right, it's a Saturday night in Calgary. You can drive there on Friday, shop, shop Friday night, Saturday, game drive home on Sunday, or they don't even have to get that because how many Saskatchewan people still live in Calgary made the move to Calgary and still go there and support the team. And it's still, it's still one of the, uh, heaviest rider supports of all the stadiums I visit. You know, this doesn't seem, even Edmonton doesn't seem to have those those numbers of rider fans. Though they are them, but not as many as Calgary, maybe for some reason, but we'll look into that. But uh, I know we wanted, this probably isn't as related as much to CFL, but you saw that record-setting field goal by uh, Jason Tucker the other day. 66 yards, and, and my fantasy team still lost despite having Jason Tucker get 19 points. <laughs> 
Yeah. Nice job of the budget. GM there. Which yeah, actually, pretty chaotic end to two two games there. The one where the guy misses a sixty-eight yarder, and uh, the Jacksonville. I think it was Jacksonville returned at one hundred and nine yards. Yeah, yeah. for a touchdown. That's crazy. And then Tucker hits this one, hits the post, doink, and goes in. And you are like the man connected with field goals. I'll turn over the mic to you, but long field goals in the CFL, are there any comparable to that one? Well, it's interesting. Taylor Fields, Taylor Fields has been the common denominator. Dave, Dave Cutler set the record of 15 yard, 59 yards in 1970. That was equaled in 1981 by Paul Watson of the Rough Riders at Taylor Field. In 1987 on Labor Day weekend, Dave Ridgway, uh, set the record of 60 yards, and uh, and then that record was broken in 2001 against Edmonton by Paul McCallum, who uh, hit 62 yarder, and that that still stands as the record. I'm surprised it stood this long. Would you look at some of the howling winds, not only in in Saskatchewan but in the prairies? You'd think maybe somebody's well. Corey Chamberlain tried the 64 yarder with Ray Early in uh, <laughs> in 2015, so there's been there's been shots at it. But I'm surprised that somebody hasn't gone gone uh, hasn't exceeded the, uh, the the 62 yard kick in almost 20 years now the interesting thing about that is on the on the uh, play before the Paul McCallum field goal Keith Smith remember him throws a pass a bomb down the left sideline for Demetrius Bendross on about the five yard line balls right there drop the pass so um, leading to one of the most famous nicknames in rider history yeah uh, Ben drops <laughs> yeah that was, that was already well ingrained by then, but uh, it's interesting how, how we contributed, or that play contributed to the 62-yard field goal. And I was actually in Denver in, in 1998, my first trip to Mile High Stadium, when Jason Elam kicked the 63-yarder on the last play of the first half to tie the record set in 1970 by Tom Dempsey of the New Orleans Saints. And that record uh, was ultimately broken when uh, Matt Prater hit a 64-yarder. And now uh, there's the 66-yarder by... Uh, by Justin Tucker. You ever walked on a field and looked to see how far 62-yard field goals are? Whoa. I've done that, and I've walked on the field and looked. And somehow these kickers do that. Yeah. And, and I have to admit, the uprights look about this wide apart. There's yeah, it's no, like a tuning fork when you're... When I know, you're... And, you're gonna, and there's you know 12 guys coming out, or 12, 10 to 12 guys coming at you. There's the snap, there's the time, there's everything, and there's getting the power, there's keeping it down. And I just kept looking at it going, holy smokes, that's a long way to... To kick a well, field goal. <laughs> even in, in at the 2007 Grey Cup, I after a rider practice, I walked onto the field, and I stood on the very spot where Dave Ridgway kicked the 35-yard game-winning field goal in the 1989 Grey Cup. I just wanted to – and Dr. Bill Elliott, who was a rider team physician at the time, also one of the many physicians who helped keep, keep me alive to this point, uh, was out there on the field with me. And he took a picture of me standing on that very spot on the 35-yard line where Dave Ridgway kicked the field goal. I remember looking at the at the uprights and thinking, that's 35 yards, and, and that doesn't look like a gimme from here. No. That's still, that still requires a lot of precision. And so add 25, 30 yards to that, and, and then add the other dynamics that come into play. But you know, th- I remember looking at that thing. I, I wonder what, you know, if you're if you're Dave Ridgway and you're just looking at those those uprights 35 yards away, that uh, they seem to be a little compressed yeah. when there's a when there's a pressure kicker. If you're any kicker, well, Dave Ridgway always made the uh, pressure kicks in his second go round with the Rough Riders, except for the the slip in 1992 in Edmonton, and he had no chance on that one because the turf gave out from under him. Well, you and I have been to NFL games, and it seems even magnified because the NFL feels so close. 
Like there's no, there's not all the big wide space. Like, so imagine, I'd like to see what a 68 yarder looks like on an NFL yeah. field with just people going crazy and whatnot. But, but that's amazing. You know, it was just, uh, I remember when a, when a 50 yard field goal by anybody was a big deal. When yeah. we had offensive linemen kicking field goals or, you know, <laughs> just, and, uh, and now, now it's become, you know, Brett Lothar's got an 80% uh, accuracy rate this year. Uh, in in, uh, in nineteen in 2019, it was 78. Once upon a time, those would have led the league if not uh, been close to leading the league. But now, if you're at, if you're below 80, you might not have a job. And Brett Lothar's had to go on a bit of a roll to get himself back up to 80. He's now 20 for 25. 80 would have been the gold standard uh, yeah. once upon a time. And and I've always maintained it was Dave Ridgway who changed the entire nature of the kicking game in. In, in the Canadian Football League, when his second go round with the Rough Riders, uh, he, he was a, just an average kicker, you know, in the 60s, maybe low 70s, in his first stint with the Rough Riders. And then he came back after the Montreal Alouettes fold. The Riders claimed him in the in these the dispersal draft, and suddenly he's well over 80. And everybody pretty much had to, I think that put pressure on every other team and every other kicker in the league to be as good as Dave Ridgway. I think what we're seeing now, where even 80% is kind of, oh, that's all right, yeah. is still a byproduct of what Dave Ridgway was able to do as far as setting the bar for kickers across the Canadian Football League. And even kickers who had been in the league, even kickers who had been contemporaries of Dave Ridgway, uh, elevated their games because Dave put pressure on everybody. He was that good for, for that, during that stretch that began in 1987. But even immediately, look at Brett Lowther was 90% in 18. Like, that's crazy yeah. to think. Like, how many things do you hit 9 out of 10 on, Rob? How many things do you do that? Yeah. Like, I, uh, <laughs> certainly not when I was in school. No, um, certainly not on the golf course or anything I do. I'm never that good at anything. I'm 50 or 50 is pretty good. But to see. Yeah, you know, and if you get 8 out of 10, if you get 8 out of a 10 kicking a weird-shaped object through a goalpost or between two uprights, 8 out of 10 is not good anymore. 7 out of 10 might cost you your job. That's there's yeah, so no little margin. Look at Justin Tucker; he just doesn't miss. I know. Even with six sixty-six yards out, he just doesn't miss. It's uh, in the NFL, fifty-yard field goals. I think sixty-two or sixty-three of them are sixty-three percent of those field goals are attempts beyond or fifty yards or beyond are made now in the NFL. That's stunning when you consider what the kicking used to be like, and the, yes. and they're drilling them through a distance too. A lot of those kicks would be good for, for, for 60, 70. Well, guys, the 68-yard attempt, it falls one yard short of the goalpost, and that guy returns it for a touchdown and just shows amazing speed. It was an amazing weekend to watch the NFL. I don't know, except for the Steelers, who we got some issues with, but that's a whole other world, I guess. Your Broncos are 3-0. and You must be very happy. Yeah, they've played to opponents who collectively are 0-9. We'll see how it goes against Baltimore <laughs> next week. But oh, okay. it was a good weekend for the CFL, too. Yes, um, um, Great now, Friday football. Both both games on Friday were terrific, and that's what the CFL needs because that product, by and large, this season has been awful, and uh, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. As we record this, the Red Blacks yeah. are poised to place poised to play the Edmonton Elks on Tuesday night, and I think that game's a good a good excuse good excuse to watch baseball. So yeah. uh, um, the NFL has had so many good games and granted there are more of them so the duds can yeah. get overshadowed by the by a game 
by a number of games that are good. You know, Kansas City and San, and San Diego. Los Angeles was a really good one as well. And there were several. But uh, the duds can get kind of forgotten when you see the highlights of the four or five games that are, are, are good each week. Yeah. So the CFL, you've got four a week. And uh, so it's magnified if, if they aren't very good because there aren't as many of them. But the CFL is not what it once was by and large uh, in terms of excitement, even with those games factored in. And we talk, we spoke earlier about the uh, the uh, the Rough Riders' inability to go deep. Um, you know, once upon a time, the CFL was a, you know, a huck and chuck league. And, uh, and now you're seeing a lot of the teams, they have the same type of playbooks. Just, you know, bubble screen, hitch screen, all these short little, uh, you know, horizontal offenses. And there is not a real lot, lot of, there's not a lot of aggression going downfield. And uh, the nature of the game has changed and it's been to the league's detriment. But you still get nights like Friday where uh, you're reminded of how magical a Canadian football game can be. And uh, and that was another byproduct of uh, not only did the Rough Friars win, but they won in a matter that was exciting and uh, on, a, on a Friday night when yeah. you're hoping for for some excitement to bring in your weekend. Let's hope Saturday night brings the same things to them in Calgary. Let's hope that right to the bitter end, no deadline pressure. <laughs> yeah. Always. We got some questions. So I'm going to, uh, before Ooh. I forget, I, I would be remiss if I didn't. We ask, quest, we ask for questions every week and we finally got some. And, uh, and uh, this is from a nice person named Brad. Uh, he said, I have, I have some topics that I'd love to hear you discuss on Rider Rumblings this week. One, why are, and this, this kind of works into what we were just discussing. Why are we throwing so many screens and lateral passes into the flats? It seems as if Jason Moss is treating Cody Fajardo as a rookie and won't open up the playbook much. It was better in BC for downfield passes this week, but much of the league is playing pretty boring and safe offensive football. Totally agree. Um, and I think that's, that's the nature of defenses. And yeah. uh, defenses don't give you much. A lot of the teams are playing zones, and you just have to take what's what's underneath. There's a lot of bend but broke don't break defenses. The Rough Riders played one uh, fairly a week ago in terms of Toronto with Rich Stubler, and they're, that's all they're going to give you is the underneath stuff, and they're hoping that one play won't work and it will kill your drive. If you can move the ball, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll cite this as an example: of the Rough Riders' first possession on on Friday against BC, they moved the ball quite well, but there wasn't one gain that hit double digits and eventually one play doesn't work and they have to kick a field goal. So that's, you know, nine, six, five, four, nine, seven. That's nice. If you, if you make every play work, but all you got to do is mess up one play and your possession is over. And that's the, that's the mentality of most of the defensive coordinators. And that ultimately uh, leads to the uh, decisions made by the offensive coaches. What are your thoughts on that, Mer? <laughs> you hit every point I was going to make, Rob. I think <laughs> you, but the point is, if it's effective, is it bad if it works? But you said that one play can make the big difference. Now you're looking at second and 10 or second and nine, and as Cody talks about. So if it works, move it down the field the way you can. Let's have some nice long drives. I don't mind a long drive. But the I think explosiveness you have to, is gone. You know, especially you have to, And what do they have? Four of them? So Braden Lenius has four of the 30-plus yard passes. That's yeah, all, all four of them. And, all four and, of them, which is crazy. And, uh, to think the only that. other gain over 30 yards was a William Powell 33-yard run against Toronto. But you think Kyron Moore, with his elusiveness, could even get further with the yards after the catch. And he's pretty good with the yards after the catch. So maybe that's what they have to concentrate on. Can they do that, get yards after the catch? And well, maybe they've been trying it, but it just it, very seldom does it get a lot. It got them three or four yards after the catch in the second last, second last play from scrimmage of the game on yeah. Friday. 
and that was pretty crucial. He made the first guy miss and was able to get down to the one yard line. Uh, but they're they're not they're not really looking to him over the top. And the opposing teams know that's the only guy they got to worry about is a deep target. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's maybe Ricardo Lewis Lewis could be that guy. Maybe yeah, and he did have the 24-yard touchdown, and we should talk and that about that. That was a beautiful pass. That was just perfectly in line, just you know, just on a rope to him, and he did. They did everything right. And T.J. Lee is not a. He's a. He's one of the That's better a defensive def- back, and he, he, he beat him to the post. And and we, we've talked a lot on written a lot about Ricardo Lewis and why is he in the lineup and why isn't Paul <laughs> Mc, Paul McRoberts playing? Sometimes I think we just got to acknowledge that maybe football coaches know what they're doing to, ah. to an extent that we can't uh, we can't approach. You know, I think it was fair to. It was fair to question why why Ricardo Lewis yeah. was in the lineup when he had four catches over his first first three starts and Paul Mc, Paul McRoberts had four catches in in the second half of his first and heretofore only start. So it's it's fair to wonder why, but the patience that was exhibited by the Rough Riders coaching staff and Ricardo Lewis certainly paid off on on uh, Friday. Not only did he have that touchdown, but he had some key plays on that final drive that was ultimately punctuated by the Cody Fajardo touchdown. I think he had a 10-yard pass and a 16-yard pass that were just key. Like they're all key. So that was yeah. pretty good. What's the next question, this guy? Did you have another question? Yes. Um, Two of them. Three of them. We're getting three, into We have three questions, actually, from Brad Thompson. Uh, that game in BC, more of an observation, that game in BC was the best officiating of the season. Um, <laughs> some may take issue with that, that pass interference call on Ed Ganey. Um, ticky-tack. It was ticky-tack. Maybe as I watched the radar, I for the most part the officiating wasn't an issue, right? And and uh, and uh, it's interesting though, players make mistakes all the time, coaches make mistakes all the time. Um, yet there seems to be a higher threshold for or a higher expectation for officials who probably make fewer mistakes than players and coaches. If players didn't make mistakes, every game would be zero zero. So, uh, uh you know, every play there's a mistake. If there's a big gain, somebody on defense didn't do their job. If there's no gain, somebody on offense didn't do their job. So there's there's a mistake on every play, but those plays on, on, on which the officials are highlighted seem to be magnified. But, yeah, I think that was a well-officiated game. So, uh, so. it's nice to guy, hear. Uh, and I like the way, and I, I mentioned it earlier, how emphatic the goal line judge was, whoever was on that line. Like he didn't think about twice about it. And some of them may go, you know, like the, with the Ganey pass interference call, it took him a while for the guy to throw the, throw the flag out of the power, out of his pocket. And that's what I had an issue with. If it was pass interference, it should have been more bang bang than the time that took for the official to throw the flag. But I still feel, and you watch more and you never. It looked like Ganey's right arm got across his body a little bit. I don't know if it was pass interference, but what the heck? It's things happen in life and stuff. But anyway, third question from Brad Thompson. And again, more of an observation. What an incredible show the special teams have been putting on this year, especially kick coverage. Yeah, the kick coverage has been really good. Um, The the kick returns have been okay with Jamal Morrow. There's been a couple, looks like he's been able to break them. Uh, Brett Lothar is back in form as a a, uh, uh, place kicker. John Ryan is doing John Ryan things as a punter. Uh, One of the issues I would point out is when they're returning kicks, there have been too many penalties. I think they need to... Reduce those. But as far as the kick coverage, uh, Craig, Dick, Craig Dickinson is in charge of the special teams, and uh, the kick coverage has been very sound, as, as, as have the special teams overall. There's too many penalties on special teams anyway. It just seems to be how many times you see – when does the special teams play over until the official picks up his flag? There seems to be a special teams penalty 
on almost every play. That was kind of the nice thing to see that long return, both on the uh, in the NFL. There was no penalties on that one, 109 yard return. So that's maybe there's sometimes the officials can keep their flags in their pockets a little longer, but, maybe. Maybe I don't but, know. Uh, the players don't do if the players don't uh, commit a foul, then there's no reason to throw a flag. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think we're pretty much done here, Mern. Is there anything else you'd like to? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I can't think of anything. I think uh, Candy did a remarkable job. We'll give a little uh, oh, shout look out at her you. now. Oh yeah, does she ever do? Does she ever do anything besides sleep? It's oh, like... she's she's uh, she's so cute. She's uh, she she sleeps she sleeps about twenty three hours a day. So I think she's a threat to my job because that's my kind of uh, yeah. my kind of a slumber. Rob Van Winkle. I'm gonna sign off with our little uh, uh, thing yeah. at the end. I just want to say I'm yeah. on the road for my first flight since the pandemic starts on to get to Calgary. So I'm kind of interested to see what flying is like in COVID. It'll be a, an experience, I think. Well, good luck to the pilot. Um, <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, as Brad Thompson so thoughtfully did uh, this past week, you can email Rob, that's me, at rvanstone at postmedia.com, and we'll read it on the show, as we've just demonstrated. You can follow me, Rob uh, Candy, who does not yet have a Twitter account, but soon will. Uh, I'm at uh, I'm at, R, at Rob Vanstone, or you can follow Murray at, uh, at Murray LP, M-U-R-R-A-Y-L-P. And... Uh, that is all. We will do this again uh, next Tuesday, following the first of three straight games between the Rough Riders and the uh, Stampeders. Murr, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, Rob. It was fun. And thanks, thanks, for thanks so much for uh, thanks so much for your time. And uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll chat again next week. Take care and have a great day. Bye.